Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar, the world's leading marketing data and analytics company, and Side Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak with marketing leaders and share insights to help brands and business leaders navigate the ever-changing marketing landscape and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Jane Osler, and I'm EVP Global Thought Leadership at Kantar. So today we're going to be talking about emotion in advertising and we warmly welcome Graham Page who is Managing Director of Media Analytics at Affectiva and Deepak Varma who is our Head of Neuroscience Insights at Kantar in North America. So thank you both for coming on the podcast to talk to us about this very, very important topic. I'm going to start off with you Deepak and there's quite a lot to get through because it's a big topic. So let's start out at the top. Why do you think emotion is important in advertising? And particularly, why is it important in digital advertising? Yeah, well, uh, that's a great question, uh, Jane. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why emotion plays a very, very strong role because uh, emotion makes the advertising memorable. Um, and emotions are also responsible for attaching positive associations to the brand. And one of the reasons why this happened is because uh, of the simple reason how your brain is, is structured. So uh, your uh, your emotional part of the brain, which is the amygdala, is connected through dendrites to the prefrontal cortex. And there are more connections from the emotional part of the brain to the rational part of the brain then from the rational part of the brain to the emotional part of the brain, which basically means you are, we are hardwired to be emotional. So um, what that leads to is our emotions are processed faster than rational thoughts. And because of the way the emotional part of the brain is structured, what happens is your emotional part of the brain is responsible for what we like and dislike. And what we found uh, in advertising and when we look at our our own database that adds that evoke stronger emotions, they generate more 
attention, they are likely to go more viral, and they also drive both short-term and long-term uh, response for the brand. Yeah, that's a good introduction. So, Graham, what, let's let's talk about um, your views on why is emotion important, and tell us a little bit about facial coding technology as well. I think. Deepak's explanation there was fantastic about why emotion is, is important. And, and it's it's very interesting the way, uh, as someone who's been in the industry for a long time, it's it's interesting the way that um, kind of the way we've talked about advertising and emotion has changed a bit. I think the, you know, as, as the marketing industry has understood more about neuroscience and, you know, kind of some of the ideas from cognitive psychology, I think that there's been this better understanding of, of why some of the things we always knew were important are important. And so, you know, emotion and creativity is one of those things that I think we now have a much clearer handle on. I mean, it, it, you know, great creative is inherently emotional. And I think everybody in the industry has kind of known that for years, but what you've seen in, in the last kind of decade or two is this sense of, okay, well, this is, this is why, you know, great emotion, great creativity makes you feel something it makes you feel something really powerful and so in a sense asking you know what you know why is emotion is important why is emotion important is almost like saying why is creativity important it's because you know things stick in your in in your brain as well in the way Deepak's talked about it's because it really stays with you and shapes the the nature of the brand associations and you know emotion is just all wrapped up in what great creativity does so i think it's you know it is really interesting the way that i think we've come to understand that better um uh, in recent years and i think to, to answer the second part of your question about kind of facial coding technology um so as, as hopefully many listeners will know um the effective facial coding technology is is part of a lot of the work that Kantar does in the advertising development space um what we do is use algorithms to understand people's emotional and, to, and some cognitive responses based on the facial expressions that they show whilst they're experiencing content. So in, in the, in the context of advertising development work or, um, or kind of entertainment testing, for instance, we might show, uh, research participants, um, uh, content and ads, uh, and then with their permission, uh, we film them while they watch. And then we use our algorithms to then, under, you know, codify, if you like, the different expressions that people show on their face. Um, and, and can then see, therefore, how they're reacting in real time, you know, in the moment, rather than having to ask people questions uh, at the end. And the reason we focus on the face is because the, the face is so, um, you know, heavily wired into the emotion centers of the brain. We show a lot of our instinctive reactions on our face, not all by any means, but, but, but many of them. And therefore, kind of looking at facial expressions is something that, that can really help us add some insight about how people feel, how they've reacted and do so without having to rely on their memories of how they, they felt after the fact. Thank you for that explanation. And I think one thing I wanted to sort of mention at this point was that we've released our latest Kantar Creative Effectiveness Awards. And in those awards, we've identified five topical trends across the winning ads that make them properly stand out. And they stand out to the people who judge them. Um, and the people who judge them are the people who are using our, our link solution. So real consumers are effectively voting for these ads. One of the trends that we identified in these ads, and that was, you know, offline and online ads across all platforms, was called, we called it Touch My Soul, because it's all about how advertising needs to, you know, 
touch people in some way and it could be through humor it could be through music any any there are various different techniques for harnessing emotion but it what it says this trend is that the more emotionally charged an event is the more likely it is that people will actually remember it and obviously one of the key tenets of advertising is you want to create these kind of branded memories so deepak what what can brands do to harness the power of emotions, but in particular in their digital advertising, in your view? One of the main things with uh, with sort of touching people is, uh, you know, you have to sort of uh, surprise them um, fairly early. Um, and uh, there has to be a level of intrigue or curiosity. And you leave them with some very positive feelings. And I think, you know, that's something which we've, uh, which we've seen that, uh, that becomes a very, very important, um, I would say, uh, trait in terms of how advertising can, can really, really touch people that when you leave them with a very, very positive feeling, your brand, um, has far a lot more meaning, uh, to, for consumers. And one of the ways to sort of leave uh, a very, very high emotional impact, whether it's through humor, whether it's through um, any other feeling, whether it's, it's it's a feeling of gratitude, is the power of, of storytelling. And, and I think one of the things that we've seen is that ads that have a very, very powerful story, and whether the story is related to, to humor or driving any other emotion, Storytelling is a, is a very, very powerful tool because storytelling generates a very, very strong emotional response. And we've seen uh, that ads, um, especially digital ads that, uh, you know, tell a very powerful story, have the power to, to cut through uh, and leave a very, very strong impression on people's mind. That's just because of the fact that, uh, you know, powerful storytelling actually activates all your senses in the brain. And it also is known to generate uh, oxytocin, which is a neurochemical which is responsible for for generating uh, a high level of emotion and, and, and love. And uh, studies have actually found that stories that uh, have the power of, of uh, you know, generating high levels of oxytocin and empathy within uh, consumers who are listening to, to a story. So powerful storytelling is important. Um, one of the other pieces of analysis we've done, Graham, shows that digital ads that leave consumers with strong emotions or that induce strong emotions are actually four times more likely to drive long-term brand equity and four times more likely to generate impact compared to those with much weaker emotional connections. And they're also, as, as Deepak said, the likeliness to go viral is, is, is higher as well. Can you talk more about some of the emotional triggers that perhaps are commonly used that brands can use in their ad campaigns just give us some more examples perhaps yeah absolutely and, and yeah i completely endorse what what we've already heard from deepak i think you know story is such a powerful thing um and we're just so wired to to engage with stories there's some there's, some, there's a great book called the storytelling animal by jonathan gottershaw it's about 10 years old now but it's still absolutely a fantastic read that pulls some of that science together so i'd i'd encourage uh, Anyone who's interested to to uh, to go and, and find a copy of that, but it, it's interesting when we talk about story about the the story structure because that does play a big role, I think, in terms of as you say the triggers that, that people can can use. So what what I think we've seen across 
lots of different cases, lots of different types of advertising is that the, you know, the, the way the narrative resolves itself is really important. So I think when it comes to emotion, many um, clients get a bit worried or, or, or can, can find themselves lapsing into kind of dramatizing the problem as opposed to the solution, because there's a lot of emotional depth to, you know, to, you know, the, the problem that someone's having to deal with. Yet, actually, it's the stories that resolve themselves properly and leave people on a high, leave people in a in a positive place that that are the ones that are really powerful. So, as, as you say in in the analysis that um, Kantar did recently, you know, just looking at the the digital high performers, they were clearly the ones that left people feeling good, and we saw that again in you know in much more serious issues potentially, you know, uh, campaigns to do with sustainability, campaigns to do with COVID, the ones that were successful were the ones that left people in, in a good place. So then, so I don't think people should be afraid of make, uh, of kind of negative emotion. Uh, and I, in fact, kind of a real high and a low is probably necessary for great storytelling. But I think it's really important to leave people um, you know, in, a, in a good place. So in, in the case of sustainability, let's say, you know, a, a message of hope is much more powerful than a message of guilt, for instance, because you leave people, you know, in, 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 a, in a positive place. Um, so I think, you know, it, it, that's an important piece when it comes to, to, to narrative. I'd also say, I guess, you know, empathy with the characters, empathy with the people that are, that are portrayed in the story is, is really powerful. And again, I think collectively, uh, affective encounter of seeing cases where you might have characters who are from say uh you know kind of uh, sideline groups for instance that you know advertisers might feel worried about including in advertising can be used as really powerful vehicles for great stories that everybody empathizes with so long as people can 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 kind of you know can feel the the emotions that the person is going through and, and can empathize with that so you know an empathetic story can feature almost anybody and as long as everyone kind of can appreciate the you know what the person's going through and the and the you know the the story resolves properly you can have an incredibly empathetic and and positive emotional experience that that is really powerful from a creative point of view great and we'll come on in a in a bit to a bit more about how facial coding works and um how it's used um but deepak just going to you when when brands get insights gained from understanding the emotional response to ads using facial coding what's the best way that they can use these insights to inform their advertising strategies or even you know the ad in question um can you give us some examples of you know how clients might respond to the insights that they get and their agencies in fact the ways which uh, which uh, i've um, you know leveraged uh, facial coding and i'll sort of uh, give you a, um, one specific example of this uh, you know, we had tested a, um, a 60 second ad and we were trying to cut it down. And uh, what we had done was uh, we started to use facial coding to identify some of the most engaging moments of the ad. And uh, having identified the most engaging moments of the ad, we basically gave our clients uh, an idea of. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. How to create a cut down. And give very, very specific recommendations of a cut down. Now, the client took, I would say, 80% of those recommendations, created a cut down. And that was very, very effective. So compared to the original ad, when we tested it in Link, the ad was far more effective when they use the most engaging moments. Why? Because your, your brain remembers the most engaging moments. But there was one specific moment, which was the, I would say, uh, the peak engaging moment. So compared to all the other moments, that was the only moment which was the highest. And my submission to the client was, uh, you know, that's, that is the most engaging moment and you should actually use this. Um, so there was some reluctance and we had to actually show it and we had to prove it to the client. So what we did was we took their 30 second ad and we flipped the moment which they had taken with the most engaging moment and we ran the study all over again. You would not believe it had an exponential increase in branding, an exponential increase in enjoyment and an exponential increase in our, and it was exponential. And all by just changing four seconds of, 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 of that. And I think that was to me, uh, the power of, uh, leveraging facial coding to understand the most, uh, engaging moments of the ad because the most engaging moments actually not only resonate, it was, you know, that the classical, uh, you know, it, it proved the whole uh, premise which we had in our, and our database showed it that you take the most emotionally engaging moments, the ad, you will create an ad which is viral, you will create an ad which is enjoyable, you will create an ad which is far more impactful. So uh, I think facial coding helps you to identify what those most engaging moments are which you can actually leverage um, in advertising and even while creating cutdowns or, or print or digital ads, you, you know, those moments will be reinforcing memory of the entire ad. And just to reinforce that when, when we pre-test our advertising, we use our, our, our link um, survey solution or our, our, our link AI solution indeed. Um, and what we recommend strongly to clients is that especially at an early stage, they need to understand the emotional response and, and use, use facial coding to sort of enhance those insights from, from the survey questions. Um, Graham, we're going to go a bit more to the technical angle now. Tell us a bit more about facial coding, how it works, but also how does it work with things like cultural differences and individual variations? Like how fine-tuned and how sensitive can facial coding be to emotional responses for ad advertising research? As I mentioned earlier on, I mean, on one level, what we're doing is simple in concept in that we're kind of taking the the kind of things that people do every day. You know, we as humans are, are great at reading uh, people's reactions we use reactions their kind of body language tone of voice but but also facial expression kind of every day in our um in our interactions with people it's why uh, you know zoom is much better or you know, any kind of video conferencing is much better than just a phone call because we can read those those signals so what our technology is doing is is essentially replicating that skill and 
allowing it to be quantified, allowing it to be aggregated, so that we can we can get a, a more objective view of uh, of how people reacted in uh, in the moment. So it's it, on one level, it, it, it's it's relatively simple. Now, clearly, people worry. I think about the fact that well, oh, hey, aren't there cultural differences in you know the way people express emotions, or aren't there cultural differences in in the way in just the amount of expression that, that people show? Uh, and so how can how can the technology work with that? And the answer is, yeah, there are dif those differences. But what what's interesting is if you train an AI algorithm in the right way, then you can you can allow for some of those things. So there's 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 ways in which we allow for it just in terms of you know having normative context for um, for different cultures. So, we, you know, we know that um, in Japan, you'll get less expressiveness and a, and a and a lower expressiveness score is, is perhaps more meaningful in Japan than, say, in Brazil, where you'll get higher expressiveness. So all of that data uh, is available and used as, as context uh, for interpretation. But perhaps more importantly, when when you're training the algorithms, if you if you give the you know the machine a data set that's from a very diverse set of data, um, then you're much more likely to be able to deal with and account for those kind of cultural variations. So you know we we go out of our way to draw on the the huge data set we've got. We've got you know we've we've done work for essentially the last decade in 90 countries around the world have you know billions of frames of data from from all over the world, and we're able to therefore train the algorithms um, when we update them, which we do regularly, um, using data from uh, from real world scenarios uh, with a very diverse you know, set of data that's uh, you know balanced in ethnicity, balanced in gender, uh, balanced in age. And, and we go out of our way to make sure that we're as accurate across all those groups as, as any other. So I think we can be fairly confident that, that we're not, we don't have any inherent bias in um, it, you know, in the systems against one culture or against one, one, uh, one group. So I think that's that's one answer to that. There are other answers that I think around uh, you know some people's worries around the fact that okay, make, you know, how can you say that everybody expresses a certain emotion in um, in, in a similar way? There is a lot of work um, that's been done historically to show that there are universals in, in expressions. Uh, there are absolutely um, some some nuances. So a a smile may not mean happiness all the time for every individual, but in general, it's a positive signal and, and the, the science is very clear on that. But what's important in, I guess, in the way that the, the algorithms are used by Kantar and, and, and many of our other clients is that they're interpreted in the context of what people are reacting to. So you know, as, a, as an analyst, if you're looking at an ad that's supposed to be funny, whether the smile is likely to be because people found that funny, or if it's a, uh, a socially awkward situation, maybe that's an embarrassed smile. And, and you know, and the analysts using the technology are able to take that kind of context into account. So it isn't it isn't a dumb system. You know, there are humans in the loop, and that's really important. Um, but what we're able to do is provide information for those analysts to integrate with, as you say, the survey answers and other data they've got, um, an understanding of the context that people are reacting to, to to really make sense of that data and, and get a very accurate picture. Actually, you know, I'll, I'll just add to that. And, you know, I have, a, I have a lovely example to actually show how, uh, despite the fact that we, there are cultural variations, we still get very, very similar responses from facial coding across cultures. And there was a, there was one specific study and this was done. And this is literally exactly the same ad, which was run in five to six different markets. And, uh, uh, all over the world, you know, this is this is U.S., China, Kenya, uh, Nairobi, and uh, uh, India. Now these are five different markets, and each the the ad was exactly the same, but it was run with local characters. So 
And what we found was something very, very interesting that in all the markets, the places which had some of the highest engagement were identical. And I'll give you an example of that. And this is a phenomenon called mirror neurons. So, which is, you know, monkey see, monkey do. So when you see somebody, uh, you know, holding a bottle and, and drinking it and sipping it or taking a glass and drinking it and sipping it and having this whole um, feeling of satisfaction, that specific moment was exactly the same. And when I say exactly the same, the moment when it stopped, the engagement started to the point where the engagement was the highest across all the markets was exactly the same. The points at which people laughed and the humor was identical across all, all the markets. So I think it, it talks about the universality of, of, of the algorithm, the universality of being able to detect emotions across cultures and the universality of, of certain uh, neurological principles in the brain and how the brain uh, connects and engages, uh, you know, across different markets. So I think that was a that was a great study to demonstrate that. Thanks for that, Deepak. That's that's very helpful. Let's talk about other system one methods that people use to measure emotions, um, such as EEG. Um, let's start with you, Deepak. How does that differ from facial coding with respect to measuring emotion in advertising? I spent about seven years of my career initially doing uh, EEG. And uh, when I transitioned um, uh, into Kantar and I started to do facial coding, um, I had the opportunity to work on uh, the same ads, um, fortunately or unfortunately. And uh, what was uh, something very interesting was as I was working on the same ads, one of the things which I wanted to look at was, are the insights from these ads very similar to what I would get in EEG? And uh, what I found was that not only I was finding insights which were very similar, the, the moments of the highs and lows were very, very similar. And that sort of started to get me on this, on this journey of trying to understand, you know, why does uh, anything which is happening in the brain when you're measuring brain waves translate into the face? And then I sort of came on this, um, on this paper uh, which had a very detailed um, study on measuring the EEG and facial coding parallelly for, for video. And one of the things which uh, uh, was there in the paper was that, uh, yes, EEG measures brain waves, but 50% of the brain waves were partly due to the contamination of changes in your facial expressions. So 50% of the EEG signals which were come, which were being captured were because of changes in facial expressions. And 28% of the signals, or close to 30% of the signals which um, come into your brain get translated also into your face. So essentially facial coding was capturing somewhere close to 80% of the information which was there in EEG. And therefore I was finding things which were very, very similar. Uh, the other information which I also found out through another research was that facial coding is instantaneous, which means EEG is also supposed to be instantaneous. It captures uh, uh, information and responses instantly. Uh, facial coding uh, may be a little bit lag, but the lag is 250 milliseconds, which means within 250 milliseconds, you will capture a facial uh, expression of, of emotion. So 
that's one of the reasons why the highs and lows, uh, which I was finding out, were very, very similar. And then I, I read a lot in academia uh, about this. And in academia, EEG tells you approach versus withdrawal. So it will tell you whether people are leaning in or leaning away from the ad. It doesn't really tell you the kind of emotion which uh, people are going through. So yes, you may be leaning in because you're angry. You could be leaning in because you're happy. Uh, and that's what in the academic world, uh, uh, we found out that in academia, they were sometimes using facial coding and EEG in, in parallel because EEG tells you emotional engagement, but facial coding would tell you the type of emotion which people were going through. So uh, yes, EEG is complementary. Also, it captures certain signals which uh, will not uh, come on the face. And to that extent, it will give you some complementary information. But um, you know, the majority of the information is very similar. And with all the parallel tests which we did with EEG and facial coding, we found even at a scene level, we were getting very similar responses. So yes, it's a, it's a, it's a great technology. Um, it gives you uh, information on a moment by moment basis as well. Um, the only other part, which I think were, for me was one of the biggest differences was EEG is an aggregate measure, which means that if you are capturing 30 responses, uh, you will aggregate them together and give an aggregate measure of the response because it's a very noisy uh, signal. Uh, therefore, you have to aggregate it to um, make it less noisy. However, what we found with facial coding is a respondent level measure, which basically means I can break the trace by different demographies. I can break the trace by people who enjoyed the ad, by break the trace by people who were persuaded by the ad. And I think that's that was so powerful because uh, you have moments of enjoyment, you have moments of persuasion. You could break the data by different demographies, which you know, if you were to do that in EEG, uh, you, you would have to keep multiplying the number of cells which you uh, which you need. So it starts to get too expensive, and 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 then of course, facial coding so easily was so scalable that uh, it can be done fairly easily. It doesn't need a lab. So I think uh, you know the when you sort of started to when I started to look at the various aspects of EEG and facial coding, uh, there were there were so many things which were similar, um, and the fact that you know facial coding was was far more uh, scalable and and it was a respondent level measure gave a lot more insights uh, than what you would uh, get from from EEG. Just one thing to learn. I mean, I think like Deepak, um, you know, I've also in, in my career experimented with all sorts of um, different system one technologies. You know, I've, I've worked on hundreds of EEG studies in the past as well um, and, and reached similar conclusions to Deepak that, you know, the, the scalability in, in kind of, I guess, variation in the in the metrics that we got we're getting from facial coding was was actually more advantageous. Um, but I think that one other thing that, that really helped me understand that you know maybe there's there's, there's more scalability and, and a wider use case available to facial coding was just the fact that it is a very intuitive measure so with eeg you know we were finding we we need to have you know a, a neuroscientist on the hand or somebody with a deep science background on the hand to help explain the signals whereas you know most creatives most clients most agencies can understand you know really the signal that they're seeing when they see a facial coding signal so you know you can ask yourself the question did i want people to laugh now did i want people to look sad now 
And, you know, if people do that, then you kind of know you're achieving, achieving your aims. And if they don't, you kind of know that there's a problem. And that's just so much easier for, I think, for clients to, to use and for agencies to, um, you know, to, to get meaning from. So that, that was another reason that, that certainly back in my Cantar days that why we, we moved over to, uh, to facial coding technology. Good. Well, fairly, fairly powerful arguments there, I think, from you both. Um, I wanted to wrap up by saying a couple of things and then asking you one more question. I think um, just to reinforce it, what we found in our research from our ad reaction research, um, for example, is that actually humour is the main way to prevent skipping ads. So there are some sort of really practical applications as well. It's not just, is it a good and effective ad, but you can prevent skipping too, which is um, particularly a sort of a risk in the digital space. Um, and we've got, you know, a lot of ads that use emotion as as a very powerful tool um, as winners in our Kantar Creative Effectiveness Awards this year, um, including the winning TV ad, which was an ad by uh, KFC, um, who used music and a sort of, uh, you know, a moving back in time as a kind of way to evoke nostalgia um, and positivity. And then an ad um, from Cadbury's, where there's a woman uh, who's working in a petrol station and her, her dad comes in and buys a bar of chocolate for her as a surprise and then kind of drives off again. And it's just really sweet and, and touching. So there's loads and loads of examples ads, of ads now using emotion, both digital and non-digital. But I guess my last question to you both, and I'll start with uh, you, Deepak. Um, just very briefly, what does the future of you know, use of emotion in the digital space look like? I mean, uh, I, I think with, um, I, I would say with, with AI and a tool sort of coming into play um, and um, and we've done that, Cantar's done that, we are using AI in the digital space. So, you know, clients would want solutions which are faster uh, to be able to measure uh, emotions in a way. Uh, so, Neural AI is sort of coming into uh, into the picture as we as we are as we are talking, and we uh, we see uh, neural AI being used for things like eye tracking. Uh, we have used uh, AI and all our linked database to be able to predict uh, what people would be feeling. So, based on facial coding data, AI has been able to predict how and what emotional feelings would be generated uh, when you are looking at uh, uh, at a digital ad. So. I think AI would probably be playing a much uh, sort of bigger role as we look into the future in terms of measuring emotions. Great. And how about you, Graham? What's your prediction for the future of uh, emotional advertising, but particularly as it pertains to digital? I mean, I, I think we, we can't talk about um, the future and, and AI without mentioning chat GPT and generative AI. I think there's uh, there's a couple of interesting, uh, you know, I guess we're, we're all a couple of interesting things on the horizon there that we may be scared of, we may be, you know, excited by. Um, I mean, I think when it comes to emotion and, and the power of narrative, I guess we could kind of worry a little that, um, you know, generative AI may, may you know, slip us more towards transactional, more fact-based, more, uh, I guess, kind of uh, slightly more rational advertising. And, and, you know, I guess that's a risk, but actually, and, and I think certainly our data and everything we've discussed today would say that's a bad thing. But actually, we, we've seen a couple of cases recently where, where agencies have begun to do a really good job of using those kind of technologies 
imaginatively and creatively to tell better stories and to, and to, to be funny. So just just one example, we, we recently tested a, an ad for um, essentially the Danish tourist borders for Visit Denmark. And they the agencies there done a great job where they'd, they'd had an, they had an idea, which was, you know, uh, you know, you know, I want an ad where the Mona Lisa talks about how great it is to go to Denmark. So that was the challenge they set to ChatGPT. ChatGPT created a script. They then animated that script using a deepfake technology. So I pulled two different bits of AI together to create, uh, you know, an ad where effectively um, various world-renowned works of art tell people to go visit Denmark. Um, and it's funny, you know, it's a really interesting ad. It feels very natural. It's been very well put together. And I'm sure there's been a human hand in the edit. Um, but, you know, we researched that and, and looked at people's emotional reactions to that ad. And it was great. It was funny. It was interesting. It was the results were essentially indistinguishable from what you might call call real advertising. So I think, you know, for, when we think about, you know, I guess kind of generative AI. I think there's absolutely a role for that in um, in this future. Uh, and if it's used well, I think you know you could end up with some very interesting stories that people do respond to emotionally, and uh, and that would be be a good thing. But you know, clearly, I think people will be in that mix for for a good while yet. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Side Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit Kantar.com or OxfordFutureOfMarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.